And uh, we're going to be moving on to the third part of the story of Gideon. Um, So if you've got your Bibles open, perhaps you keep them open at Judges chapter 7. That's Judges chapter 7. Now we've heard the story twice today, and uh, so you, uh, you, you know the story, hopefully, if you didn't know it before, you've had two goes, two different takes on it. Um, here's Gideon, he has um, been called by God to tackle an impossible enemy. Um, we, won't, uh, we won't say boo for the Midianites now, we've, we've stopped that one. Um, he wasn't sure whether it was okay, and so he did a number of tests, including uh, laying down the famous fleece. And in the morning, uh, it became wet and and not wet, just exactly as he asked. So he is sure that it is now right for him to tackle this huge enemy, the Midianites. So picture the scene. There's Gideon with 32,000 men camped at a place called Harad. And down in the valley, the Midianites camped near Moray with 130,000 men. It's not exactly very well matched, is it? 32,000 to 130. They're outnumbered four to one. And uh, it doesn't look very good. War seems to be imminent. The the, uh, Midianites have invaded. They've crossed the Jordan. They've come in a very threatening way, as they have done regularly for many, many years. Um, Now, this is a problem for many people uh, about the Old Testament. All the wars and and all the killings, and it, it does seem... Very gruesome, the story of the Old Testament. But in actual fact, uh, when you think um, of what the world is like today, in many parts of the world where tribes exist, uh, it's actually no different. So the, the Old Testament is simply describing something that is still going on today. You've only got to go to parts of Africa, to uh, Syria and the Middle East, and you, you will find such... Uh, inevitable conflict and uh, very often wars. Um, We would describe that as evil, I think. War is definitely evil, isn't it? Although you could argue that sometimes it's necessary. Perhaps one of the most poignant moments uh, in in my life was when in 2009, when uh, Karen and I went to, uh, to Poland and we actually went to Auschwitz concentration camp. A place which represents utter evil. Something that needed to be challenged, and I'm sure that many people in this country in the World War II didn't know quite what was happening until the the troops liberated the camps and and saw the utter horror and evil that was going on there. And as you walk around Auschwitz, um, there's a smell of fear. And it's interesting that... uh, the place where Gideon and his troops have gathered is called Harod. And that, in Hebrew, means a fountain of trembling. I just wonder whether you've ever been in a place in your life where you've been trembling in fear about what is to happen. Maybe an operation which you have to have. Maybe uh, um, a very traumatic uh, incident in your family. Uh, maybe you've just been in a, in a very dangerous place. Uh, you might understand Uh, this idea of fear. Well, Gideon is outnumbered four to one, so no wonder he is full of fear. So the question is, how could Gideon encourage his men? You're going to take on four each, chaps, and you're going to win. Well, 
Maybe the story of the wine press and the fleece that he's told them before, that might help a bit. But these men are going to be trembling, many of them. And then the word of God comes. And the Lord says, Gideon, you have too many men. He said, what? We're already outnumbered four to one. And um, so, in other words, God says, if, if you win because you've got a big army, you might boast that you did it, that it was your doing. Actually, it's going to be my doing. And so, this very unusual command, anyone who trembles with fear may leave. I wonder what would happen in the British army today if the commanders said, anyone that's fearful, you may go home. What would have happened in the First World War? Although many of those brave men went off bravely, not, not anticipating the horror that they found in the trenches. But many, of course, were absolutely uh, struck with fear and terror. But this is not a first precedent, because in Deuteronomy chapter 20, Moses gives a command that actually when you go to battle, if anyone is, is fearful, they should be allowed to go. We want to have the brave soldiers. We want to have... We, fear in a camp is kind of unsettling, isn't it? So if you've got lots of soldiers who are, who are kind of nervous and, and fearful, that's going to damage the morale of the others. And so Gideon does what God says and says, anyone who's fearful can go home and 22,000 leave. So he's now got 10,000 men outnumbered 13 to 1. And then he hears God, I love the little angel in that uh, veggie tales thing, and he's, what, you what? You've got too many men still. Sift them out, refine them like gold. Take them for a drink. Well, uh, and, and then this is a very strange thing. I'd never worked out what lapping meant, but, but uh, I, when, when you get the picture, that some of the men um, cupped water in their hands and then drunk like that, and others actually knelt down. Can anyone, I, I wonder if you ever thought about that. Why, why would that be a, a good test? Now, various people have uh, had theories about this. Um, uh, one of the explanations that someone suggested is that there were leeches in the water. So if, if you actually knelt down and got into the water, you might get leeches. Well, that reminds me, actually, when Karen and I, uh, in 2006, went to, to Canada to baptise a young lady over there. Um, in one of the conversations, her older sister was talking about this lake that we saw. She said, oh, she said, that lake, that lake's got, got leeches. That lake sucks. <laughs> well, anyway, um, sort of, I thought it was a good, good expression. Um, I'm not sure if that was it. Maybe the kneelers, the people who knelt down with their back to the enemy, might have been vulnerable to attack. So maybe they're the people who... I don't know. It doesn't really matter the reason. It was actually God using a technique to sort out the people that he wanted to achieve his task. And you might expect that God would then say, now there's room for me to work. The other morning as I go through the Psalms, I got to Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labour in vain. So we might do really, really hard work as a church to do stuff, but if God doesn't build it, then it's a waste of time. So Gideon might have the most fantastic army, he might have the most superior weapons, but if he wins the battle on his own strength, well, who is the ultimate victor? 
And uh, I'm also, maybe Gideon had in mind, uh, Gideon wouldn't have known these words, but the prophet Zechariah, not by might nor my strength, but by power, but my, by my spirit, says the Lord. It's the same God that spoke those words, wasn't it? Gideon is terrified. He has God's word. I will save you. I will be with you. You will strike them all down. But Gideon is terrified. Let's be honest. There are times when we are afraid. And that's why I, um, when I've, I have sometimes rewritten the word, you know, the chorus, be bold, be strong. Because it's easy to stand in church and say, I am not afraid. No, no, no. We've all done it, haven't we? So actually, I've re- rewritten it to say, I'm a bit afraid, but I am not dismayed. I mean, we, let's, let's, I mean they, it has been said that when people become Christians, they stop uh, telling lies and they start singing them instead. <laughs> well, you know, we are afraid. There are things, no doubt, that make us fearful. Uh, well, they do me, at any rate. Uh, Gideon is terrified. And God says to him, if you are afraid, Gideon, just one further encouragement. Go down to the Midianite camp tonight and just do a bit of earwigging around their tents. The Midianites are like locusts. I mean, if you've ever seen a cloud of locusts coming, that must be a terrifying thing. And so Gideon and his servant go down and he listens. He overhears a conversation going on between one of the Midianite guards telling his friend about his dream, about this barley loaf that comes running down the hill and flattens their camp. And his friend immediately says, this can be none other than the sword of Gideon. Now isn't that interesting? Gideon's reputation has gone before him. You see, the Midianites haven't really had much opposition in uh, Israel in the previous one, but now they've heard about this Gideon, who, uh, who burns down his father's altar, and uh, Gideon's reputation has gone before him. Uh, and they've now called him Jeroboam, the one who defeats Baal. Gideon is encouraged. And what does the word encourage mean? It's literally to put courage in. So if you're a Barnabas, somebody who encourages people, you are somebody who puts courage into somebody. And that's what we need to be. We need to be encouragers. Um, Gideon knows that they're already afraid of what might happen. Whereas in actual fact, the Israelites are afraid of what the Midianites are going to do. But actually the Midianites are also there trembling in fear. God is at work. God has gone before. We don't head into battle on our own. God says, I will be with you. In fact, he might have said, I will be in front of you. I will be leading the way. Notice what Gideon's response is when he hears this man's comments. He worships God. Gideon's response is to worship God, to bow down, and uh, in the version that Mike read, I believe, bow down and worship the God who has sent him into battle. And once he's worshipped God, as he, he worshipped, of course, in the winepress, that was his response. This is Gideon's way, to worship the Lord. And then he returns to the camp in the middle of the night and says, get up, the Lord has given the Midianite camp into your hands. The Lord has done it. He's not claiming any victory here. He's not claiming any credit. And I like the, uh, the little comment from some of the vegetables in the army there. Well, where's the weapons? 
Where's the weapons? Well, you're going in with a, a, a clay jar and a light and a trumpet. Well, it was pretty good the last night at the proms, last night, with all those trumpets and things going off, but it's not exactly threatening to an enemy, is it? Uh, notice that these provisions were left by the departing soldiers. So when, when they went, there were enough trumpets for all of the 300 men that had chosen to have one each. And now they move into position, and Gideon says, watch me, follow my lead. I, I love that. That is a, a good definition of a leader. Watch me, follow my lead. Now there's too many people... Uh, who think they're leaders, who say, do what I say. But then you look at what they do, and you think, uh, well, I don't really want to follow them. A definition of a leader is someone whom people follow. So Gideon says, follow me, watch me, do what I do. I, I, you know, I wish that we could all learn such leadership skills and have that confidence that we could actually do and be uh, what people want to follow. And so, they get into position. All of the Midianites are fast asleep, just after the change of guard in the middle of the night, and they blow the trumpets. I don't know uh, what you feel like in the middle of the night if you get woken up suddenly. Um, isn't there, there's, a, there's a comedian, is it, is it Michael McIntyre or somebody who, who wakes people up in the middle of the night? Um, I, I, I'd never seen it, apart from once, and I saw when he, when he woke up um, Andy... Uh, Andy... Murray, Andy Murray, that's right, Andy Murray, the tennis man. Uh, and they went into his hotel room and then suddenly came in, wake up! God, I would go berserk. <laughs> Once I'd come to, I probably would have knocked him to pieces. You know, but, but it... <sighs> oh, dear. I was, anyway, if you get woken up suddenly in the middle of the night, it, 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 you, you are really, you know, there's, a, there's a, a real shock factor, isn't there? And so the surprise element here is Gideon's weapon. Not only the trumpets, but the surprise element. And not in the, only the noise of the trumpets, but breaking the jars. I mean, uh, they had flashlights there. But Gideon had these clay jars with the light inside them. So no light was coming out until they smashed them. And then suddenly the light pours out around the camp. It must have been terrifying in the middle of the night when these guys were still in their pyjamas, in their tents or whatever they wore in those days. And then the shout, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. The men knew that it was the Lord they were fighting for, but Gideon was their leader. And that's why they went uh, in confidence. And they all, all they had to do, actually, was to stand there. Isn't that incredible? Uh, uh, you just have to stand still and blow the trumpets, break the jars, and the Lord will do his work. Panic. Don't panic. Mr. Mannering, they didn't have Corporal Jones there to keep them steady. Uh, they panicked, and they turned on each other. So actually, the Israelites didn't have to do very much fighting at all, because they fought themselves. That's one of the best techniques of the devil. If he can get people fighting amongst themselves, especially in churches, he's won. You don't need an external enemy when, you can, when you've got an internal enemy. So that's a, something we might actually just bear in mind. Um, that if we're all on the Lord's side and working for him, that's good. That's strong. But if people are working against each other, uh, that's one of the best techniques that the devil has to destroy his church, the, the Christ's church. 
Okay, so the people start running, and then the last bit, which actually we, 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 we cut the reading down. I, I couldn't know where to stop in that reading. But the next bit is actually Gideon then calls for more people. He calls uh, for the rest of his tribes. He calls in the people of Ephraim, and they eventually round up, and, and finally they capture and kill the two leaders, Oreb and Zeb. Now, next week, um, I think Dilla's going to be looking at um, how... Uh, yes, Dilla, it is you next week. Oh, no, sorry, two weeks' time. Sorry, making, making Dilla panic. <laughs> next week's an all-age service. Yeah. There we are, shock. In two weeks' time, Dilla, Dilla's going to be looking at chapter 8, where uh, Gideon gets a lot of criticism, especially from the big, powerful tribe who wanted to be in on the action and they weren't allowed, because well, that wasn't what God asked. Uh, but anyway, I'll leave that one to, uh, to Dilla to look at. Um, let's just go back to Auschwitz. When we were going round Auschwitz um, with a very informed guide, um, he took us to the place, and he showed us this gallows. And he said, this is the place where Rudolf Hess was executed. Now, I don't know what you think about capital punishment, but it seemed incredibly appropriate for somebody who had carried out so much horror in that place and how many innocent Jews and others went to that gallows. What you think about this in the Old Testament, I don't know. That's a a discussion we could have. But it seems that uh, the leaders of these evil nations... Uh, come to justice but we mustn't forget that we all have evil in us we all have that tendency and that's why the Midianites invaded in the first place the Israelites uh, disobeyed God the Israelites brought the, uh, brought the, the wrath of the enemy on themselves by their disobedience that's why they're in that mess and Gideon a man who heard God, a man who was not afraid to do what God said, stood up and, and led the people into battle. What lessons can we learn from him? Gideon was a man just like us, full of fears and doubts. You remember at the beginning he said, I'm only the, the youngest and the smallest in my clan and my clan's the weakest and my family's just nothing really. You might think that about you you might be afraid of what God might call you to do the thing that Gideon learnt was that to trust God and to obey is more important than anything else it's better to have a few resources and be obedient and have God leading you than it is to have loads of resources and do it on your own now I don't know what you think about uh, coming to a small church like Fivehead There are lots of really big churches that have got hundreds of people, lots of resources, and they can do all sorts of exciting things. But, you know, I think God can do a lot with a little, provided we seek what he wants us to do. So God doesn't always just love the big things and the most successful things. Uh, My dear friend Joseph, who is a a Romanian uh, pastor, Hungarian-speaking, who was uh, interviewed by the uh, 
secret police on one occasion when he was trying to get some Bibles in. He's a very courageous man. He would often say to me, Laurie, God does not call you to be successful. He calls you to be faithful. And I think the, the message of the, uh, of, of the uh, bringing these gifts that we'll think about next week is uh, if you are faithful in small things, God will then give you bigger things to do. So Gideon's first obedience was to bring down his father's altar. That was a big thing in itself. But to take on 130,000 Midianites was a massive thing. Impossible in human terms. Without modern weaponry. And yet God used Gideon to achieve his purposes. To free the people of Israel yet again. For how long? Well, that's next week. But most important, at the end of it, God, uh, Gideon gave the glory to God. Gideon did not want himself promoted as prime minister. In fact, later on, uh, they tried to make him king. And he didn't want that. He said, no, God is your king. He gave the glory to God. So I hope that we might do just the same.